Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 26. A tribute to Walter Hooper. Hello, and welcome to the virtual version of The Eagle and Child. Back in July of 2019, I took a trip back to England, and my girlfriend came to meet my family for the first time. We did take a trip to Oxford during that time, but it wasn't for Lewis-related activities. You see, my girlfriend was a huge fan of G.K. Chesterton, and I had heard that the Oxford Oratory had a large collection of Chesterton's own books with his annotations, as well as a large collection of his other possessions, such as his hats, his glasses, and various walking canes, one of which even had a sword inside. So after I asked very nicely over email, they agreed that we could come and see all of these artifacts. And after we had spent several hours looking at all of the artifacts, we went next door to the Church of St. Aloysius, since we knew that there was going to be Mass that evening. And we got there a little bit early, so we had a little bit of a look around the church. And as we were heading back to find a pew for the service, I stopped dead in my tracks. Marie came over and said, What's the matter? And I replied, I'm pretty sure that guy over there, that's Walter Hooper. So who was this man who stopped me dead in my tracks? He's the man that we're honouring today, Walter Hooper, who was the secretary of C.S. Lewis for the final few months of his life, and following Lewis's death, was a real champion for Lewis and his works, popularising them, and something that's particularly important, keeping them in print. Mr. Hooper recently passed away. And when we heard the news of his death, a few of us in the podcasting community wanted to assemble a tribute for him. Some of you may have come over from William O'Flaherty's podcast, All About Jack, where you will have heard other authors and speakers and people who met Walter share their memories of him. Well, that's going to continue in today's episode, and there will be more episodes appearing on different podcasts over the coming week. We begin with Joseph Leconte, historian and author of the New York Times bestseller, a Hobbit, a Wardrobe, and a Great War. And he's going to tell us a little bit about Walter's life. You know, Walter Hooper was this remarkable man because he, in a real way, he devoted his life to serving another man, uh, a a man whose name many of us know and whose works we admire, C.S. Lewis. His life is so deeply connected to Lewis's life that what's so remarkable is that many people have never heard of Walter Hooper or appreciate how important his his legacy to C.S. Lewis was. So you had this American student in the 1950s, he's studying English literature, and he comes up upon a uh, a collection. Actually, it's a it's a New Testament translation by J.B. Phillips, and in the preface to that New Testament translation, a very kind of a colloquial translation of the of the New Testament from J.B. Phillips. In the introduction, it's written by this fellow named C.S. Lewis. Well, Walter Hooper starts reading this introduction. And what Lewis is doing in that introduction is, is explaining in layman's terms why it's so important to translate the Bible in languages we can all understand. And Lewis, as, as always, writes in such a powerful, persuasive way uh, with a deep Christian commitment. And, and Walter Hooper, who I think is spiritually on his own journey uh, then as a young man, he is taken aback by it. He's taken aback, and he decides then 
he has to get his hands on more words by this man. That's how he he put it to me in an interview. I have to get my hands on more more of the, uh, more of his words of Lewis's words. And that's what he begins to do. He will join the military there in the 1950s. And even while he's uh, in basic training, he's got his hands on different Lewis books. He's reading uh, in between drills on smoking breaks. He's sneaking in, uh, you know, a few pages here and a few pages there, and he's hooked. He really is hooked still as a young guy. And he starts a correspondence with C.S. Lewis, starts writing him. And for those of you who know uh, anything about uh, Lewis's work and his life, uh, he wrote thousands of letters throughout his life, C.S. Lewis, thousands of letters. And I would say virtually all of them incredibly thoughtful. And so he's writing back to Walter Hooper. They're corresponding over a period of years. Walter Hooper decides he wants to pay Lewis a visit at his home in Oxford. Now, this is now by 1962. And by 1962, Lewis is already struggling with different uh, different illnesses. And by the time Walter Hooper gets there in 63 now, by, by the time he really gets to, to meet Lewis, it's 1963, it's in the summer. And uh, Lewis is not in the best of health. Walter Hooper thinks this is going to be a one-time meeting. They have three pots of tea. They talk about everything. Uh, and Walter Hooper is beginning to figure out that Lewis is even more impressive in person than he is in his in his in his writings. And bef- as he's getting ready to leave, as Walter Hooper is getting ready to leave Oxford, getting ready to get on a bus, uh, C.S. Lewis grabs him by the arm and says, "No, no, no! You're not leaving that that easily. You're going to come to a meeting of the Inklings. The Inklings, of course, were the group of of Christian friends and scholars and writers who had been meeting since the 1930s with C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, Charles Williams. And here they are still meeting. 1963, Walter Hooper goes to an Inklings meeting. C.S. Lewis asks him to stay on as his personal secretary to help with his correspondence. Walter Hooper decides that's what he's going to do. It is the great turning point in his life and the great gift then that he will give to the rest of us. He will get his hands on virtually everything that C.S. Lewis wrote throughout his life and put it into print. And it remains in print to this day, thanks to Walter Hooper. It's quite a legacy. I met Walter for the first time last year because I've been working on a a documentary film series based on the friendship between uh, J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis in the context of war, in the crucible of war, not only the First World War that they fought in, that those two men fought in, but then the Second World War they have to live through and how that shaped their lives, how that shaped their literary imagination. Well, of course, we wanted to interview Walter Hooper for this documentary film series. We spent an afternoon with him in his home uh, last fall, November, and he is just the sweetest soul. Here's this consummate English gentleman, although he's not he's not an Englishman, but he's he's taken on the entire persona of an Englishman as a, as this. Uh, how, how do you describe himself from from Tennessee, this yokel from Tennessee, this American yokel from Tennessee? Uh, and not only a, a gentleman and a gentle soul, but you begin to realize how thoroughly immersed he has been in the writings of C.S. Lewis, all of them for all of his life. We were having a a kind of a side conversation while my film team was kind of uh, getting set up. And he was asking me, of course, about myself. You know, what, what, what do I do? And I'm describing my work as a college professor and my 
I spent some time in London studying John Locke in the UK. He immediately said, and here he is, 80, he's 89, 88 years old at the time. He immediately said, oh, well, well C.S. Lewis, he, he read John Locke. And I said, Lewis read Locke, commented on Locke? I, I hadn't encountered that. And he said, yes, I think it's in the uh, second volume of the letters. Uh, Walter Hooper edited three or four volumes, four volumes of, of Lewis's letters. And he could immediately bring to mind uh, a letter that Lewis wrote commenting on a work from John Locke. That's the incredible um, immersion that he had uh, undergone in devoting his life to retrieving, to reading, to editing, uh, to publishing all that Lewis wrote. It, it's just an amazing, uh, an amazing scholarly enterprise that he undertook, a lifelong scholarly pursuit. And, but he would never consider himself, I, I don't think, he would never have considered himself this scholar or this uh, world-renowned Lewis expert. He was just too humble for that. He, he was so devoted to, to serving this other man he had come to so admire and to love. He had just begun rereading everything in chronological order that Lewis wrote. I mean, here he is, he was 88 at the time, and he said that he was struck by how good everything is. It's just so good, he said. So this lifetime uh, admiration and love affair with the works of Lewis, and of course, Walter Hooper, even though he was with Lewis only for a short period of time, the last few months of his life before Lewis died, they, they grew very close. I mean, they had very, uh, I think, intimate conversations. When you're in that stage station in, in life, of course, you talk about things that matter. So they had many, many meaningful conversations in, in those last months of Lewis's life. I probably should have talked about just how I first encountered a C.S. Lewis book that was edited by Walter Hooper, of course, naturally. <laughs> you know, God in the dock. I was an undergraduate at the University of Illinois studying journalism, spiritually uh, wandering a bit, I'd say, and came upon the book God in the Dock, a collection of essays by C.S. Lewis that never would have seen the light of day were it not for Walter Hooper. That volume was edited by Walter Hooper. So it was a wonderful gift when I got to see him uh, for the first time and meet him for the first time, I got him to autograph that book for me. So, of course, it's a treasured possession now from, from Walter. We, we will miss him. Now we have Dr. Jason Lepoyavi, assistant professor at Thornlow University and teacher at studycslewis.com. I met Walter almost exactly 10 years ago in 2010 when I was giving a guest lecture at the Oxford University C.S. Lewis Society. Walter was a, a faithful member of the society. Uh, he supported everyone. He liked young people. Um, I don't remember being intimidated by him because anyone who's met Walter knows what a gentle, sweet, gracious soul he is. But it was my first lecture in 2010 at the Oxford Society. And I gave what would be my paper on C.S. Lewis and St. Augustine. And after the lecture, Walter stood up and had a, had a comment. It was more of a comment than a question. Because in my paper, I had analyzed Lewis's poem, Skazons or Skazons, which is a worked as a literary backdrop to the disagreement Lewis had with Augustine. And Walter, 
in his customary way, fashion, was full of praise. But he shared a really interesting anecdote because he said that he had never, ever heard a talk on the poem Skazons or Skazons. And he shared a story when Lewis asked him for his favorite poem. And Walter started to recite Skazons. And afterwards, Lewis sighed and said, that's beautiful. Who's it by? Uh, Mr. Lewis, it's your poem. Don't you recognize it? It was published in Pilgrim's Regress, if I remember correctly. So that's hilarious. Lewis wrote so much that he wouldn't uh, always remember what he had written. And also true humility to be able to appreciate stuff, even if you were the author. I was a visiting DPhil candidate in Oxford from 2012 to 2013 at Oriel College. And during that year, I served as the president of the Lewis Society there. Afterwards, I got a junior research fellowship, a three-year gig at St. Bennett's Hall. And during these years, I really befriended Walter. We didn't live too far apart. I would sometimes help him with groceries. It was much more easy for me being mobile. He would always thank me with a bottle of white wine, which we'd drink on the spot on a Saturday afternoon and talk for <laughs> hours. I think I am among hundreds, if not thousands, who feel comfortable in calling him a friend. And this says more about him than it does about any of his, his friends. Because anyone who knows Walter knows how that friendship is his virtue in C.S. Lewis's sense of the word friendship in the four loves. And this explains, I think, David, a peculiar thing that happened on social media in the direct aftermath of Walter's passing. You see, Walter's friends and contacts posted pictures of themselves with Walter including me. I did the same. And I did it a bit sheepish, sheepishly at, at first, wondering, well, shouldn't the focus be on Walter? Why am I posting? Why is my instinct to post a picture of me with him? And I soon realized that, no, this is not humble bragging. Walter's friends sharing pictures of themselves with Walter aren't showing off. Rather, it's a reflection of Walter's gregarious spirit. When you thought of Walter, you, you could not help but to think of his graciousness, his sweetness, his kindness to you in particular. So immediately your memories rush to the times you spend time together. And so I'd say anyone who recognizes this uh, this inclination, um, I'd, I'd absolve. So friends of Walter, te absolvo. Please continue posting pictures with him. If you look at pictures of Walter 98 times out of 100, he looks awkward. <laughs> he was terrible. And he smiled all the time, except when somebody whipped out a camera. In a way, he was a typical Finnish man who freezes and looks really awkward in photos. The best photos of Walter were taken unaware. So there's a beautiful one by Lancia Smith, for example. But I have pictures of him smiling, as you note. And Walter smiling was his modus operandi. But 
to take a picture of him smiling. That was a difficult task. I had a secret weapon. I'm afraid. I can't tell you what it is, but I will tell you privately if, if anyone's interested. Instead of saying, say cheese, I would ask Walter to say something else, which would totally bypass his defenses and crack him up. And then everybody would be just snapping away. <laughs> um, it's not for public consumption. But if there's anyone who's interested, feel free to ask me privately. I think a private funeral is particularly fitting for Walter. In a way, I was very sad because in any other year, probably 3,000 people from around the world would flock to Oxford to pay their respect. Um, it's going to be private. I think max 30 people on site. However, it is going to be live streamed, which is wonderful. I plan to watch it for sure. But I think it's fitting because that's how his friend and mentor C.S. Lewis passed away silently. Both his death and his funeral uh, went largely unnoticed. So I don't think St. Walter is too disappointed. I'm sure he's in heaven flipping on the Earth Channel with St. Louis and he's watching his own funeral. Now we turn to Reverend David Beckman, former director of the C.S. Lewis Study Centre at the Kilns in Oxford and author of Life with the Professor, the true story behind the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. It's difficult for me to remember when I first met Walter Hooper. I suspect it was probably at the Kilns at some event of some kind, unless it may have been at an Oxford C.S. Lewis Society meeting. Uh, because, well, now my wife and I have visited the Kilns on, on a number of occasions, but when we were living there uh, from the uh, fall of 2014 and uh, till the fall of 2015, you know, Walter would have been in and out uh, off and on, uh, depending upon, um, you, usually he was there because there was someone that had asked if he would be there to speak to them or uh, to have a tour with them or something like that. Um, so I suspected it, it was was there, but uh, he's such a friendly fellow and such a warm fellow, and we easily became friends. You know, he was very consistent in attending prayers at the oratory, and um, and so I would go over there. Or my wife and I both would go over there on occasion, visited in his house. Uh, you know, again he was at the kilns on a number of occasions. So you know, we saw him a good a good bit, and then there were some other special events. And then a year later, after we had left the Kills, but I went back for, for a summer, I got to see him again there. Uh, again, another uh, one of the situations where he was speaking for a tour of people. I'd actually helped arrange the tour a year before, and I was thankfully back to be able to be there when the tour uh, took place. And these occasions, you know, Walter is getting, he was getting older, and uh, yet uh, he was always ready to take time, sometimes sacrificially, uh, to to talk about C.S. Lewis, and so he was very generous in that respect. When I think of Walter Hooper's overall contribution to uh, the work of C.S. Lewis, um, I can't help but think that uh, apart from the books that Lewis himself had published, uh, we we wouldn't know the work of Lewis without Walter Hooper, uh, you know, because he was responsible 
in in lots of different ways uh, you know for the publication of things uh, past uh, 1963 when uh, C.S. Lewis passed away he um uh, for, to begin with he was he wound up being on the literary trust so he was involved in decision making uh, he was he did all of the the research behind the different different volumes that have come out collecting letters collecting articles collecting all kinds of different things he uh, kept warning from burning a bunch of stuff uh, and uh, he also you know, made that deal, that famous deal with the publishers. Uh, you know, we will be willing to give you a new C.S. Lewis book periodically as long as you promise to republish two of C.S. Lewis's older books. So he was trying, he's making a deal with these people to be sure that Lewis did not go out of print. And so that affects the, the availability of Lewis's uh, original works. So you know, Walter Hooper was just absolutely critical. Now, I, you know, I think of, as we know, he was Lewis's secretary uh, in the last year of Lewis's life. And uh, it, it was just like he he just said, all right, well, you know, he didn't fire me, <laughs> you know, so I'm just going to keep on doing the job. And, and he just continued faithfully to do whatever he could to see to it that Lewis's um, literary affairs were taken care of. He did it very faithfully. He worked very hard, just performed monumental tasks literarily. Just look at those volumes of letters and what's in those volumes of letters besides the letters. But, you know, all behind it all, he just loved Lewis. He was just a very willing, ready servant. As a man, Walter, uh, he himself, I think of him uh, as being just, you know, personally, in, in personal interaction, just very gracious warm, kind, soft-spoken, um, came across humbly. He he was fascinating in a lot of different ways. As you know, everybody's got, you know, there none of us is any one monolithic thing. We all have our different sides. Uh, there's some things about him that were, you would say, a little peculiar, um, that you would enjoy. Just, be, you know, they, they weren't idiosyncratic things that put you off, but that they were kind of fun. For example, in his uh, home, all the classical artwork that he had there and so forth. And, and there's this famous statue that was in there that everybody remarks on when you left. Did you see the statue? Um, something about him personally that is probably forgotten a lot is he was born a Southerner. My wife is also a Southerner. Well, I am too. But the thing is, is that my wife is a good Southern cook and uh, she makes a wonderful cornbread what we call cornbread here, and she managed to have some people bring some cornbread flour over to Oxford so that she could make cornbread while we were there, and she made a, a lovely cornbread for Walter Hooper one day, and he absolutely loved it. He talked about how he hadn't had cornbread in years, you know, and I once wrote him after that about, about that, and he said, oh, what I wouldn't give for another piece of Sheila's cornbread, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. And that's been something dear to our hearts so that when, <laughs> when, when we found out that he'd passed away, the first thing that came to our conversation was, well, I suppose he's getting his cornbread in heaven now. <laughs> but he was a great fellow. And, and again, just loved Lewis, loved Lewis and was ready to do anything to help people to love him, too. He also loved the Lord. We need to talk about his religion. He was a staunch Roman Catholic 
and he loved the Roman faith, and he would have loved for me and everybody else around him to become Roman Catholic as well as possible. But he was very, he was very congenial about that. Let me think. If there's anything else I would like to say, um, considering how much benefit uh, the world, but especially the church, has uh, received from the works of C.S. Lewis and the writings of C.S. Lewis, how important Walter Hooper is for us in, in great ways. You, the, you, Lewis's work covers all kinds of different areas of life, and as Lewis touches on those things, as Walter Hooper made them available to us, he was just right there. And so uh, there's no measure of, of what we owe to Walter Hooper because of what we owe to C.S. Lewis. We now turn to Justin Wiggins, author of Surprised by Agape. So uh, it was March of 2018, and I had in the back of my mind, I was prepared to be disappointed because Don King told us that he was quite frail and he was not doing so well, even at that time. And he told us that it could be a possibility that we might not meet him, but to our utter joy, we were able to. And I remember we went to the plow. It was absolutely incredible to get to hear him talk about memories of Lewis, of when he first met him. And he was very smart, very funny. It was an honor to get to meet him. I'd been wanting to meet him for years and it, it finally happened. And he was very kind, very friendly. And we were just all ears. You know, he would talk about when he first met Jack and how he felt very inadequate and like he was bothering him and he becomes friends with them. And Lewis says, Oh, you're not going anywhere. And <laughs> he becomes a secretary and um, does a brilliant job with handling the Lewis estate, literary estate. I'm very thankful for what he's done. Um, it, was, it was an honor to get to meet him. Uh, I really appreciate how well he honored Lewis bringing out books like The Dark Tower and other stories. That is one that's very important because that had the draft version of after 10 years that Lewis was working on. And he saved that from the uh, bonfire that Warney was, you know, throwing out some of Lewis's papers. and <laughs> He was going to burn it, you know, and we can thank Walter Hooper for, you know, uh, things like that. Dark Tower and other stories and his introductions that he's written to books like Spirits in Bondage have helped me to understand Lewis's journey more and his conversion from atheism, theism to Christianity. And it makes me appreciate Jack all the more. And so I really am thankful for the legacy that Walter Hooper left behind. And he is dearly loved and missed by many, though we know he's in the presence of Christ. He was an incredible man. and, and the time that I was in his company, it was just a very sweet, great conversationalist, very kind and full of good humor. And it was just amazing getting to be in the same room as someone who knew Lewis on such a personal level. You know, he's a Tar Heel from Reedsville, North Carolina, of all places. How how loud is that? A tobacco town in, in eastern North Carolina. The day that I found out he passed away, I'd gotten off from work. I walked outside and I saw Don and he was waiting to meet somebody. And he said, Walter Hooper had passed away. I thought, Oh, wow. And we talked a bit about those memories of what it was like getting to meet him. 
it was it's quite sobering. I know he's in the you know in the true Narnia now, and maybe he is enjoying a pint with Jack at the. Let's hope that there's a, a version of the eagle and child in heaven. Maybe I would hope so. Next up, we have Dr. Holly Ordway from the Word on Fire Institute, author of Tolkien's Modern Reading, Middle Earth Beyond the Middle Ages. He attended mass regularly at the Oxford Oratory, and I went to daily mass there pretty often, usually a couple times a week, every time that I was in Oxford, which was usually for a couple months a year for the last 10 years. So I really did have a chance to, you know, just sort of interact with Walter on a kind of a low key basis um, over a stretch of of years. So I I didn't ever know him well, but I, I knew him for a while. And he was always so happy to see me. He always had that that big, warm smile and, oh, how have you been? It's so nice to see you. He would always just be so glad to see me after I'd you know, been away for, for a stretch. He was, he was an important figure and, and, and not just an important figure. He was a really sweet and gentle man uh, and just so genuinely warm um, and, and sociable and always glad, always glad to talk. You know, it was moving, you know, talking with him, especially talking to him about Tolkien and realizing that I was speaking with someone who had known Tolkien, who actually knew him in person longer than he'd known Lewis, uh, because Tolkien lived longer. And it was really just moving to, to kind of think of that continuity, that here I was in Oxford, you know, writing about this literary figure and talking to someone who had known him well as a friend. And it, it really just was a reminder of, of the way that these authors are not just names in the covers of books, but they're real people with real friendships. And Tolkien walked the streets of Oxford in, in the rain and the fog, as, as I have done, and went to mass in the same places that, that I did. And we had a mutual friend. So I, I can actually say that, you know, I had a mutual friend with Tolkien. And that was just, it's tremendously moving to, to think of that. Next up, we have the Reverend Dr. Malcolm Geit, Life Fellow of Girton College, Cambridge, and author of Heaven in the Ordinary. So I met Walter Hooper, as it were, through the pages of books, as it were, long before I, I, I was honoured to meet him in person and get to know him a little. So I really came across him as the editor of, after Lewis's death, of various collections of his essays. But then for me, much more specifically, was coming across the book he brought out very soon after Lewis's death that actually came out in 64, which was the poems. And they've become really central to me, obviously because I'm a poet and I love poetry. And I I felt, you know, Lewis as a poet was a great discovery and I felt there was really great stuff there. And Walter Hooper edited the poems in 64 and then also edited the longer poems later on. And it's very lightly edited. I mean, there's not, he doesn't, you know, obtrude himself in any way. Although, in fact, there were various editorial decisions, one of which I, me and I came to sort of question a bit and had a lovely conversation with him about it. I came, when I eventually wrote the chapter on Lewis as a poet in um, the Cambridge Companion to C.S. Lewis, although there was some other writing on Lewis as a poet, there wasn't, there had since been a more recent scholarly edition of Lewis's poetry by Don King, which is excellent. Um, So I was relying on Walter Hooper's book. And there was a poem which was titled in that book, Reason, which I came to feel strongly Lewis might not have titled Reason because it upset the balance between reason and imagination in the poem. 
And when I'd met Walter at the Kilns once or twice and felt I had the temerity to do it, I asked him and I said, look, can you remember or do you have, you know, the, the autograph, as it were, manuscript for which you were working, whether this really was the title that Lewis used? And I explained my reasons why I thought that particular title slightly altered the balance with which the poem would be read. And he was really good and was able to recall it quite sharply to mind. It was impressed. And he said, no, but that because reason was written in capital letters in the first line set on the soul's Acropolis, the reason stands a virgin arm. He thought that was an appropriate title. So I explained why I wanted not to call it that or to, without, without title. And he was so gracious. I mean, he was a very gracious person, very intellectually hospitable and generous. And in fact, I then had a good conversation with, you know, Don King and, and Alistair McGrath and others about the dating of that poem. And it became quite a significant thing. And, and in the new edition, they took the title away from it, you know. And, and so it was a little, I mean, but if that was a very small advance in scholarship, it was only an advance. It was an advance on a field which Walter Hooper was personally responsible for opening up its, in its entirety, the whole field. So the fact that he was so gracious in letting others play on it was, was, I thought, particularly good. I started to do little talks and courses on Lewis at the Kilns at the behest of the C.S. Lewis Foundation. And on one of those, Walter was booked in to do a sort of dinner with the attendants and chat and talk about Lewis and so on which, as I say, he did very graciously. And we had, a, you know, one or two conversations. And I guess because he recognised that I, you know, that I loved Lewis and that I was familiar, particularly, I think, because he saw that I was familiar with Lewis's literary critical works, which not all followers of Lewis are, and in a sense, almost more enthusiastic about those than about anything else. Lewis was a really important person for me in my, quite apart from my imaginative life or the development of my faith, my understanding of what poetry is and how, how to work as a literary critic is very much formed by Lewis. So I felt I felt that he kind of, I mean, he was very kind of polite Southern gentleman, but I felt I got more than courtesy from him that we were getting to know and understand one another, which meant that on other occasions when he came, I was invited to a tea, I think, as well, um, a wonderful English tea with him. But as I say, he was unfailingly kind and, and always interesting. And um, I took care, as it were, not, to pester him with questions about Lewis. As, as a person, we, you know, we're looking for personal anecdotes. I felt that must be very tedious for him. But I did talk to him about both his editing of manuscripts and, of course, Lewis's approach as an editor of manuscripts and Lewis's own way of, you know, we both agreed that Lewis, I mean, Lewis would be very embarrassed by the degree of attention that's paid to him as a writer now, and he certainly didn't expect it. But he himself saw himself as as a kind of presenter of others. What Lewis wanted, you know, is in the classic preface to Paradise Lost, was to for you to really know and understand Milton and read him in a delighted new way. And the same with Spencer, that very last posthumous book, which Alistair Fowler edited, Spencer's Images of Life. And Lewis, I think, has been a great gateway for many people to great writers, from George MacDonald to Dante, you know, and obviously Spencer and Milton especially. 
So it, there's a real sense in which I think Walter Hooper was like Lewis in that Walter Hooper has never wanted the attention to be drawn to himself in any way at all, but rather to gesture towards Lewis and through Lewis to gesture towards Lewis's writing. So Hooper edited a set of critical essays by Lewis, which included the first time I read it, Lewis's magnificent essay on three ways of writing for children, which I found you know hugely helpful. So yeah, I think Hooper has done an enormous service to all of us uh, in the way he's made Lewis so widely available. I mean, the other thing I'd say, which was his great kind of final gift in a way to the world of Lewis scholarship, as well as more generally to Lewis enthusiasts, is the monumental achievement of editing the letters in those three magnificent volumes. And the editing is superbly well done in terms of the footnoting and the the opening out of references that people might not get and the cross-referencing and the indexing and um, and the sheer labour that was involved in actually finding the letters themselves. I mean, that was an extraordinary labour of love. One of the characteristics of Walter which came to the fore, which is, I think, a particular characteristic that Lewis himself not only would appreciate, but did appreciate and I think saw in him, and that's courtesy. You know, just a sense of old fashioned, imaginatively making a person at home, self-deprecating courtesy, looking, as it were, towards the interest of the other. In this case, the interest of the reader and the interest of the author he's editing. But that wasn't simply a scholarly manner. That was the whole man right down to the core. You know, when he was offering you a cup of tea, there was a kind of um, wonderful deeply expressed combination of humility and courtesy in his manner. That's the sound of the bell letting us know that the pub will soon be closing. So I'd like to briefly return to my story. If you recall, we were in St. Aloysius Church in Oxford, and I'd just seen Walter coming to the church. My girlfriend came over to me and asked me what was wrong, and I said, that is Walter Hooper. And she said, okay, babe, What do you want me to do? I can tackle him. I can bring him over to you. This is when I knew that she was the one, and she is now my wife. But we didn't do that. We just attended Mass, and at the end of the service, as Walter was walking out of the church, I just went over to him and asked, Excuse me, are you Walter Hooper? He said that he was, and so I put out my hand and said, My name's David, and I just wanted to thank you for all of your hard work keeping Lewis in print and sharing him with the world. He shook my hand and then left. We'd like to thank all of those who participated in these interviews. And you can hear more interviews if you subscribe to the Lamp Post Listener podcast, either through your podcast app or you can go directly to Narnia Podcast, all one word, dot libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. And there you'll hear more stories about Walter Hooper and the contribution that he made to the world of C.S. Lewis. Rest in peace, Walter.